0: Hey, everyone, this is Mike Dunn, and you are listening to Rethinking EDU. Thank you so much for listening to this, our next episode in our series on networks. And I'm super pumped to be here, as usual, with my co-hosts. Sadly, we're down one co-host for this evening. Matt is out on vacation. But I'm here with Janine and Julie. That's awesome. Janine, how you feeling this fine evening?
1: Yeah, good, good. Just uh, really busy with trying to uh, get ready for whatever the school year is going to look like.
0: <laughs> oh boy, yeah, I can only imagine. Uh, Julie, I assume you're doing that similar work as well?
2: Uh, mired in discussions over hybrid, virtual, in-person learning and just trying to wrap our heads around it all.
0: That's the like Debbie Downers. Give me something positive that's going on. Come on, Julie. What's one really super yeah. positive thing you got going on right now?
2: Well, um You got a dog. So- <laughs> I did. We do have a stray dog living at our house. <laughs> which is uh it's a crazy, crazy ad- addition to our family life here.
0: That's awesome. She's okay, awesome. okay. Janine, what about you? What's one super positive thing you got going on?
2: My refrigerator
1: works now. We thought we were gonna have, to, it hasn't worked in like, since we first got it, and which has been a couple months now, and we, but people haven't come back out because of the pandemic. And here, my my husband just took the, the cap off the corner of it and there was an unplugged wire and he plugged it back in and it works. So that, that's like the highlight of my day. I can get water and ice out of my fridge now, it's great.
0: That's amazing, that's amazing. <laughs> I'll tell you one super positive thing for me right now is I made my first batch of homemade ice cream without a uh, ice cream maker the other day. We get a CSA share at our house and I uh, have so many quarts of cherries in the refrigerator right now and I couldn't figure out what to do with them. So I said, let's make some ice cream. So I chopped up a bunch of cherries and I made some delicious cherry ice cream and it's been an awesome highlight of my life recently. Enough about us for now. Who we are really here to talk with is Kelly Young of Education Reimagined and Grace Kaboko, who is a um, former Iowa Big student who will be a TCU student next fall. Go go horn frogs, right? <laughs> and who is a um, a recent involvee in Education Reimagined's Spark House convening and we're going to get into that in a little bit but let's check in with grace how are you feeling tonight grace everything good
3: i'm feeling great um i think that it's it's interesting to navigate what the future of schooling and learning is going to be like so i think that the best thing about it is just kind of going into it with an open mind so i'm kind of really excited and feeling great today
0: man i'm so inspired by young people these days so much of the 30-somethings that I know are like, uh, school. And Grace comes on and she's like, I'm excited to rethink what education is going to be like. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're happy to have you here. We'll get into more about what your experience with Spark House was, maybe a little bit about your Iowa Big experience in a little bit. But we're also here with Kelly Young. Kelly is the president and founder of Education Reimagine, which is a national nonprofit and movement builder in the education realm. Um, Kelly, how are you doing today? Well, I'm in Colorado at my
4: parents' home in the mountains, so I'm doing really well. <laughs>
0: Have a beautiful... That sounds amazing. Yeah, beautiful view. <laughs> and what, what town in Colorado do they live in?
4: Uh, Telluride.
0: It's in the southwest corner, so
4: it's it's actually quite cool and i'm from dc and and that's where i live um so it's about you know 100 degrees there and it's about 70 degrees here
0: <laughs> oh my gosh that's awesome and home of the telluride music festival of course and it is such a picturesque little town um i've been there a couple of times so i'm a little envious you know julie julie janine and i are from just outside of philadelphia where it is really just sweaty all the time. <laughs> well, I am from
4: originally from Wilmington, Delaware. So just outside of Philly.
0: Ah, yeah, I got you. So you know the you know the weather well in this area, yeah. it sounds like. <laughs> um well let's uh let's kind of get into our podcast a little bit here. Um Kelly, I'd love to start with a uh question for you. Um can you just tell us I, I gave everybody the kind of like Just two-second version of who you are and the kind of work that you do, but can you give us a little bit more about um, your work and how you maybe ended up with Education Reimagine? Um, So I know you mentioned before you were um, working for uh, DC public schools, um, but you didn't have a background in education before that. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I can start with
4: um, that I got involved in education when my son turned three years old and was going to his first day of preschool at our local elementary school, which we were grateful for them having you know, preschool starting in third, at the age of three. Uh, and as I was walking across the street, taking him to his very first day, I had this sudden like, question about if the teachers told me that they could wave their magic wand and I, they could have my son turn out <laughs> however I wanted, Like, and they said, you know, what outcomes do you want for him? I had no idea what I would say. You know, like the thought that immediately went through my mind is I want a kind, loving, you know, um, happy child and adult. Um, But I wasn't sure if I had to list, you know, that I want him to be able to read and write. And like, you know, I just couldn't articulate it. And that began my journey now 10 years ago. Um, in search of what I thought education, what the purpose of education was. Um, And the further I got into education, including being in leadership at DC public schools, the more that question eluded me (laughs) and the more certain I got that as I listened to parents and teachers and kids say what they wanted out of education, the less certain I was that actually education could deliver those outcomes um and that led to a project at an organization called Convergence which is where this project got it, it was birthed from. Uh, Convergence is a nonprofit that brings together ideologically diverse people to grapple with questions of national concern and to create breakthrough solutions to those. And so I headed up the education project to reimagine education and brought 28 folks to, 28 people together who really were from uh, you know two presidents of the national teachers unions to business leaders disney microsoft and lego to people who were for charter schools people who hated charter schools people who thought social emotional learning was the answer to, you know blended learning was the answer you name the solution that somebody had we had them in the room um, but the ticket the price of admission was that you had to say that winning my debate and getting my thing was actually not going to have a great education for every single child. Um, And that, um, that it was actually time to start from a blank slate and ask ourselves if today we were to invent an education from scratch, knowing what we know about development and, you know, science of learning and teaching and technology and the changing complex world, that what would we invent there? And so they ended up coming together to, um, Create a vision document that lays out a vision for what we now call learner-centered education. And I can say a lot more about that. Um, and that became the driving force of education reimagined. Um, and for us, it really was, um, it is a paradigm shift. It's a whole new way of thinking about kids learning and what the purpose of education is. Um, and so now we are committed to making that a reality in the in the in the world. And why I'm so excited that Grace is here is because once the vision was published, which was five years ago now, um, we looked around and we were like, wow, there are a lot of people already, there are pieces of the future already here. And Iowa Big was one of those places where we actually saw the vision in reality now in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and there are, you know, hundreds of places that you could witness learner-centered education around the country, but when you hear young people who have actually experienced that, that's when it really comes to life.
2: Kelly, I wonder if you could just describe to us a little bit more about that new vision, uh, learner-centered. What does that look like?
4: Yeah, so um, I I will say something very general about it, and then I would love for Grace to share about what it was like at Iowa Big, which is just one example of what it looks like, but I think it'll bring it to life better than my generalities. But learner-centered education is built on the premise that three assumptions. One, that each child is unique, capable, curious, and wondrous. And if you really looked at the current system, you would see that if we really thought children were all unique, we wouldn't teach them the same thing at the same time and the same age and expect them to demonstrate their results in the same way, right? <laughs> Everything, is built on Everything is built on standardization. So, um, So this is actually seeing that each child is unique and that they're capable, right? And they're capable of like blowing us away. So I sometimes think of, you know, we have this idea of high expectations, but what about like that even high expectations puts a lid on what kids are capable of, because that's our expectation of them as opposed to them actually opening our eyes to new things. Um, So, so that first belief, right? About who young people are. The second is about how learning happens, Um, that learning can't be done to a child. It can't be done for a child. It can be done by a young person, and it can be done with a young person. And so if you think about how learning actually happens for yourself, it happens when you're curious about something and you want to learn something. Sometimes those things can be externally motivated, but when real deep learning has happened, it's when it's internally motivated, right? It's relevant to you. It's something you want to to dig into. And kids are born curious. And so how do we not, instead of thinking about that we need to teach them what we know, how do we actually nurture their own curiosities and let them go deep on the things that matter to them? And then thirdly, what the purpose of education is. so currently the purpose of education is, you know, something like college and career ready, right? It's to prepare people for the world of work. And we have a set of standardized outcomes that we want every child to have. So it's really designed to have a cookie cutter outcome for young people, um, despite the fact that now in a world of, you know, of creativity and specialization, we really want kids to develop, to discover who they are, what their gifts are, and to develop those gifts and find ways of contributing them to the world. So rather than standardize outcomes, we actually want kids to become themselves um, and to learn how to contribute that to the world. So that's a general description at a very high level of what we call the learner-centered mindset. And what we have discovered is when people have that mindset, they design entirely different learning environments and experiences for young people. And Iowa Big is one of those.
2: That's a crystal clear vision. (laughs) Absolutely. It seems so obvious, but it runs counterintuitive to much of what education is sometimes. Um, But Iowa Big, I know, is is an exception. Uh, So Grace, why don't you tell us about your education? What has it been like?
3: Um, Yeah, so I think that the idea of changing the um, the narrative from creating high expectations to putting um, students in charge of creating their own expectations for themselves is something that Iowa Big um, really values. And going into Iowa Big from a traditional um, traditional school um, model, um, my, my high school is moderately large um, for the area at least. And so... It's a lot of large classrooms, um, teachers kind of um, doing things and getting through things in order to um, feed the amount of students that they have rather than um, fit the students that they have. And going into Iowa Big, it was a very large um, mentality shift into I get to choose what I learn. I get to choose what I want to study. I I get to be in charge of how I do things. Um, I get to be in charge of what my future looks like based on what I like to do and what um, what I see in my community and the needs that I see in my community. And I think that Iowa Big does a really good job of valuing that and valuing that um, students know what they want to learn and they know what they're passionate about and they know their values. All it takes is them being in charge of that and them having a say um, and how they obtain that information and how they obtain that learning, whether it be from um, a classroom um, environment where they're sitting down and actually learning in a traditional model or whether it be going into their communities and asking partners and organizations and just people about how they can help um, based on their values. And so that was kind of my um, my face value um, value. Uh, idea of what Iowa Big kind of gave to me in that first year.
0: Sounds awesome, Grace, and it, it really sounds so much different than maybe like a picture of what school looks like for so many teachers and parents and and kids across the country. Um, can you paint that picture with a little bit more detail for us? So, like, what does a typical day look like at Iowa Big for a student? And I, it might be totally different for every student. Which is, which is fine. So maybe a better question is, what does a typical day look like for you when you were at Iowa Big?
3: Um, so Iowa Big has um, a, a dual enrollment kind of process. So Iowa Big is a public school that's funded by districts or local districts. So for me, I would go to my, um, what they call a mothership or my, um, my traditional school, my local school district in the morning um, up until about 11.30, 11.45 then I would go to Iowa Big in the afternoon Um, and kind of every day is unique and different in itself some days you'll have what they call seminars so um, like kind of like a normal classroom uh, you go to class at a certain time you sit down you learn that information some days you'd go to Iowa Big um, with not really having a specific goal in mind but sitting down and getting to Um, collaborate with fellow students on their project or collaborate on their seminar project or seminars, um, things like that. Some days you'll have partner meetings in which your projects that you are involved in and the projects that you chose um, will have partners from the community and that they will come into Iowa Big and you'll talk about those things just like a normal, um, a normal business meeting would have. And so um, it's a very dynamic and um, open environment even physically when you go into iowa big it's an opened walled area so there's um, students kind of just sitting anywhere and everywhere just collaborating and um, learning together from all different aspects of whatever they're coming from
0: sounds super cool i would just ask you to maybe pick a project that you really loved or maybe one that um you thought was impactful and and tell us why.
3: Uh, I think that my favorite project that I ever did was this past year, my senior year, I got involved with a hydroponic project and I had never done anything about hydroponics. I knew nothing about hydroponics. Um, <laughs> so fun, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I think that the most valuable part of it was getting to see how that one project affected issues in my community. Um, They created we created a hydroponic system in the basement of a nonprofit in our area that um, feeds a lot of the homeless population in Cedar Rapids. And so that project um, allowed them to grow sustainable vegetables all around all year round so they could provide um, healthy foods that um, were naturally grown, homegrown to provide for their uh, the community there and it tackled so many different issues that I wasn't even aware of. And it also brought together so many different values that I didn't even realize. It brought together economics. It brought together nonprofit organization, obviously gardening and science. And it's just really amazing to see how one project can spark so many different ideas and so many values and different students. Um, and bring together people that you would never expect to grow in a learning environment together.
0: I see what you did there with that grow pun. That was nice. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Give something enough water and it'll
0: grow to be a beautiful tree, certainly true.
2: So Grace, I happen to know you are not majoring in hydroponics at college, but you're heading off to college um, in just a couple of weeks here, really, probably. Um, so what are you taking with you from this experience?
3: I think that the biggest thing that Iowa Big has taught me is adaptability and being able to notice your skills and notice the things that you are passionate about um, and see how that fits your um, your group of people. Um, i like to say that before going to Iowa big there or before even thinking about different educational models, there's, there's a stigma that there are really, there are people that are good at learning in groups, and there are people that are good at learning independently. And I think that Iowa big kind of pushes you to understand that even though you may think that you are a good independent learner, or a good group learner, that all of your attributes, your personal attributes can be helpful to a group, no matter what you think, or no matter um, what um, at your school thinks, or your educators think. And so Iowa Big has taught me um, a lot about just knowing my skills and creating my skills and being aware of what I'm good at and what I like to bring to the table. And knowing that um, in in any situation, I have things that are valuable and that can be used um, and be valued in um, in my education experience.
0: So, Grace, one of the experiences you had when you were in high school is you attended a convening of students called Spark House, which is an education reimagined initiative. Can you tell us a little bit about what Spark House is?
3: Yeah, so Spark House is basically a gathering of students that attend schools like the Iowa Big that are different educational models um, that kind of challenge what education is looked at and challenge what it could be in the future. And it brings students from all over the country together to talk about their different experiences and how they can shape education for the future and how um, each, each background in each different place and school and grade level um, adapts to education and learning and growing, from their, growing into their communities and learning from their communities. And I think that Sparkhouse just does a really good job of um, growing leaders in, um, in, ed- in the education field, not just as teachers, but just as, um, as beacons of light into what education could be um, and what it could become in the future.
0: Super cool. So take us a little bit more into what Sparkhouse is really like. Is it facilitated discussion? Is it students leading students? Is it adults leading students? Give us a little snapshot.
3: Um, so it's kind of all of the above. It's a lot of discussion work. Uh, you're put into different groups, and it is led by students or students that have been a part of different educational models. And you just kind of talk about um, other topics within um, within education and um, in your communities that could be intersectional in in discussion in discussing the future of education. Um, it's a lot of just sharing different perspectives. Um, it's really nice to just get to talk to different students who have the same experience and very different experiences from you, um, and learning from them and learning how they view education shaped how I viewed my education and how it could become in the future.
0: Sounds super cool. So that ultimately led you to pursue your major in college to be education. Is that right?
3: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That first year at Sparkhouse, I was. Um, pretty apprehensive. I didn't really see myself as a person who was going to be involved in education or anything of that sort. And so Sparkhouse is just kind of an experience to get to know other students who went to schools like me and learning from their experiences and learning um, not only their successes, but their hardships in education pushed me to want to pursue that and pushed me into discovering how I could be um, involved and inspired by education.
0: Awesome. I love it. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with the book called True North by Bill George, but it was written in 2015. And part of the book, Bill George writes about these things called crucible moments, right? There are these moments that sort of catalyze change in one's life. And I'm wondering if you could point specifically to an experience you might have had while you were at Spark House or maybe right afterwards or around that time um, that you could point to as being a quote-unquote, crucible moment for yourself, how you really started envisioning maybe education a little bit differently.
3: Yeah, so it was actually after Spark House that same year. Um, It wasn't Iowa big. It was actually at my traditional high school. Um, I remember I was in math class, and we were studying something. And I raised my hand, and I asked, um, when when am I ever going to use this in real life? Mm. And my teacher was like, well, you probably won't use it unless you're going into the electrical field or something of that matter and so I asked her I said so if I'm never going to in the electrical field this is useless information to me and that was when I discovered that education to this point like I I had adapted and I'd learned so many cool things and cool um, artifacts that would help me in my future but if I'm never going to use these tools and they're never going to assist me in my future why am I spending so much time and energy trying to perfect it and get a perfect grade on it just so that information can go in one ear and out the other. And that was the moment that I discovered that education can be something meaningful and that no matter what age you're at, it can help you shape the future that you want it to be in um, in your own specific way. It doesn't have to be generalized, it can be specific to you.
0: So great, thanks Grace. And we wanna bring Kelly into this, Janine.
1: So Kelly, I was wondering if you could tell us the connection between Education Reimagined and Spark House.
4: Yeah. So one, you can begin to hear how different, just listening to Grace, how different the kind of learning environment is. And that while it is not designed to, you know, segment learning into all of these little pieces and make sure that every single piece is taught, that actually in keeping things whole, like a project on hydroponics... All of the pieces actually make sense and have a lot more value than when you break learning apart from a real living context. Um, and so Education Reimagined, When um, it, what we are about is how do you build a movement such that every young person has access to this kind of learning. So when we looked around five years ago and we started seeing places like Iowa Big and the Met in Providence, Rhode Island and Norris Academy in Northern Wisconsin and all over and it had nothing to do with governance. Every school I just named is actually a public education school, um, but there are also charters and independence and homeschooling options. So it's, it's very much apart from governance. But we started seeing all of this and we realized they were not all connected with each other you know, they felt like if you talk to them, like the oddball in a particular place. And we started realizing that there would be power and connection um, of all of these sites, whether it was a Montessori or Reggio Emilio at the uh, the earliest ages, all the way up to those who are working with, you know, um, overage, you know, kids who are, um, you know, beyond the age of 18, still getting their high school degree. So... Education Reimagined is committed to transforming education, both having this available to every child and creating the systems that would enable it. One of the things that we found very early on was the most powerful voice for learner-centered education are those who have actually experienced it. So for me, for me, it's it's I didn't get to experience it growing up, um, and it makes me quite sad often. Um, and even my children um, have not. experienced Experienced it because it's still not readily available all over the place, um, and we started meeting the young people from every walk of life, from every geography, <laughs> every socioeconomic background, every race. And what we discovered is that they were ex- lit up, they were thriving, they were full, they were themselves, and they were, and and I can speak as you know as a parent. I loved how comfortable they were speaking with adults, because learner centered um, it could sound like it's all about young people by themselves, but it's, it's empowering young people and the adults really being partners with them. And so they are, as you can hear from Grace, incredibly articulate and used to speaking with adults about subject matters that often people would think that only adults might speak about, and I'm talking even at you know the ages of six and seven and <laughs> and eight um, so uh Sparkhouse grew out of us wanting to bring young people together from all these diverse sites for them to begin to see that they're that they're actually on the forefront they're not they're not in the oddball school, they're actually on the forefront of education in the country um and then we asked. In the first cohort, we actually said, like, is this worthwhile? Do you, is this something you want to advocate for? Is it something you want to take a leadership role in the movement? And a resounding yes. (laughs) And it said, please keep doing this, bringing young people together and allowing us a a seat at the table. And so that's how Spark House began. Um, And I think we've had five different cohorts now of young people.
1: Yeah, I know when I was talking to Grace earlier, um, I, I had even commented to her just how incredible it is to hear, you know, someone from the younger generation talk about learner-centered in a context that is really meaningful to them and that they're passionate about. And so that was that was encouraging to hear as a seasoned educator.
0: I I would I do want to say one thing to follow up your comment earlier, Kelly, um, that I think is really important. And maybe over maybe overlooked a little bit is that the experiences of of most of the adults and most of the people that are doing policy work, which has you know dramatic effects on what education looks like in our country, um, don't have experiences in learner learner centered uh, schools as students and really as parents either. And I think that has a really dramatic uh, impact on. How people view an image or their image of possibility for what school could be for for their kids, for their grandkids um, and and even for their teenagers really uh, and I, I would I'm wondering if you can kind of speak to education reimagines work in that area to help policymakers become more aware of the possibility with learner centered movement.
4: Well, a perfect question because we are just about to launch a campaign, which is um, helping policymakers, whether they be at a district level, a school level, you know, state level, a federal level, actually imagine completely different possibilities for education um, in this COVID moment, where the building is no longer playing the central role that it, you know, that it always has, um, but we even though a young person is no longer going to a school or is unlikely to be going to school at least full-time, we still have limited their opportunity set of learning experiences to that building. And that is now very much an artificial, um, well, um, connection. Because if I'm taking a virtual class with an educator from my building, now from my home and them from their home, there's no reason I couldn't do it with an educator from across town with somebody from the YMCA or the Girls and Boys Club or taking French from somebody in France. (laughs) So uh, so we all of a sudden have this, um, this chance to really rethink what is the role of public education? What are the foundational elements that have to be provided? And what are the things that actually collectively as a community that we can provide for young people? And so one of the aspects of learner-centered education is um, seeing the community and the world as the playground for learning. And um, and right now we only credential learning that happens in a particular building with the, the set of people assigned to that building. And what if that those links were cut and we were able to credential learning no matter where it happened, right? And so, you know, Grace just gave an example of a community-based project, right, that was credentialed, but, it was a community project, not a teacher- led project. And so there are so many possibilities that we want to begin to help people see how could you unbundle the way that education has been put together right now and then rebundle it in ways that really empower young people, the adults supporting them, um, and make this a community effort rather than an education effort?
0: Yeah, I love it.. Um there's so much to talk about there we could spend hours talking about all of that and i i appreciate you uh all of that all of that work being done by um yourself and education reimagined
1: yeah i was just curious about you know, from the student perspective uh so if they if they're listening to this and they want to get involved in this learner center movement um how would they go about doing that um and then we can follow up with a question after that. I did see that you have a magazine there called Voyager. I was just curious about that too, but we can we can get to that next.
4: <laughs> so at this moment, what Sparkhouse is about is for young people who are experiencing learner centred education, and like I said, that it, it that um, that looks a lot of different ways. But if young people are are actually having a voice in what they're learning, how they're learning it. Um, and being able to make a contribution in their communities, like that's some of the questions you can ask to know if you're in a learner-centered environment. So um, usually the way we find people is we have found a learner-centered school and invite young people in from that school. Um, We are about to broaden out and host our first youth summit uh, virtually in a few months um, for learner-centered folks, and then the next is we are going to ask them to host a conversation with the, with young people, regardless of what kind of learning environment they're in, um, so that we can engage young people from all over the country to to broaden the um, the view of what's possible. Yeah, and you also asked a question about Voyager. Voyager, I would love for people to sign up for Voyager. If any of this is intriguing you and you're getting like, I want this kind of education, or I want to know more about it. Um, you can go to our website and sign up for our Voyager magazine, which is a um, weekly publication that comes out and shares stories of young people, educators, administrators, parents who are are actually building learner-centered experiences and environments for kids.
0: I am a subscriber to Voyager, and I am a um, frequent reader, and it's, it's always inspiring for me to read what Voyager brings to my inbox every, every week. So I, I appreciate you guys for, for that effort.
1: Well, Kelly, on a side note, if you're ever back in the Philadelphia area, um, you'll have to come visit us sometime. Julie and I are, we developed our program for the middle school and we really try to make it as learner centered as we can where we're at. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. So if you have young people who, yes, it would be great. We, and we've just opened up Sparkhouse to middle school.
2: Oh, um, oh, that never right. happens we're always like oh I know, high like schools nothing. do all the coolest yeah. things yeah
4: and, well it had everything to do with that. um on our team at the time uh three of us had middle school kids <laughs> and and so we were like let's just try it out for middle school, and we're like we can't hurt our own kids so like <laughs> Find one way or another.
2: Well, in middle school is where it all happens, right? This is where they're deciding everything about themselves. I just think it's the best. It's absolutely the best.
4: I am a hundred percent with you. I was a teacher in Indonesia um, for two years, and so and I, it was not your normal teaching experience. I taught, but I taught like all kinds of different grades, um, and uh, middle schoolers were my favorite. <laughs>
2: When you have to have a clean slate every day, but as long as you have that spirit about you, middle school, it is absolutely the most fun, the most fun.
0: Spoken like a true middle school teacher here, I see. <laughs> There's
1: nothing better than straight up asking them, what do you want to learn about? <laughs> you know, and, and it's funny because they'll, a lot of times, the first in our school, they're pretty good with, they, they know that that's coming their way because we, we do, that's what we do. We ask them what they want to learn about and set them on their way. But um you know, for some kids, though, the, the people that come and visit us, they're like, what do you mean? What do I want to learn about? <laughs> like, no, really, like, what do you want to learn about? What are you interested in? What are you passionate about? Let's go. <laughs> no.
0: I think that question is just so important. If you were to ask that question of students at my school, they'd be like, uh, does not compute, you know, <laughs> and uh, and you could get there with them because we have interested kids who are like really interested in learning. Um, but it would take it would take a bit for for you to really kind of dig in and pull out of a student, you know, what are you truly, really wanting to pursue and and uh with your and use your time to to learn more about.
1: There is some kind of mind mindset to it, I will say that like, yeah, you get stuck in that bubble where either school is supposed to be this way and you're telling me what I'm gonna learn versus like, oh, I have an opinion and I can think about it. What I
4: discovered is that when um for learner-centered high schools. That there is a moment, it takes more than a moment, um, up to six months, for kids to unwire themselves from a compliance orientation and wanting to be directed uh, to actually. So, when they answer the question of, you know, do you have any interests or what are your interests? There are some kids who, yes, for sure, have them, like their music, sports, whatever. Um, but they might not be able to articulate one inside of a domain of, you know, science or um, in, in a world th- that they would consider an occupation in. Um, and then there are others that, as you just pointed out, you can ask that question and there's just no answer. And it, there is actually structures and pedagogy around how do you shift that um, for young people. And it sometimes can take up to about six months. But once the switch happens and kids trust that you really want to know what they want to learn about, and you're not going to just go ahead with your own agenda when they can't answer the question, like kids who have been have dropped out of school, who have been um, you know, have had huge behavioral issues because they were so unsatisfied in the current system, all of a sudden come to life and
0: are transformed into incredible. Learners. Yeah, I, I absolutely totally can get on board with what you're saying. I taught at a big picture school here in Philadelphia for a little bit where we were working with, you know, overage, undercredited, on the verge of dropping out, or students who had just dropped out. And we were really asking them, So, what is it that you want to learn? And some of the first students we had in that school were like, Arm's length away, no, 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 don't ask me, because I don't think you really want to know and i think that trust aspect hits on a lot of what you're talking about a lot of times when teachers are asking students in in many schools that are not truly learner centered what do you want to learn it's a it's a what do you want to learn off of this list of five things or what do you want to learn um when it comes to this subject area right it's not a open ended enough question and there's not enough trust in that in that question for the student to be able to respond affirmatively and give an answer that then can be reciprocated by the teacher,
2: or if I say I don't know long enough, you're going to give me the answer anyway, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, right. Or just leave, or just leave me alone. Yeah. Like if I say if I say I don't know long enough, you're just going to give it to me anyway. Yeah. So it doesn't yeah. matter.
1: It's funny on like my my daughter is coming into our program, and all summer her and her her girlfriend is also coming to the program. Uh, they've been talking about what their iSearch presentation is going to be, and I mean they, their topics have changed at least you know a dozen times already. But it's funny to hear them already talking about. What, they're getting excited that they get to pick something that they're going to learn about this year. And and you know, of course, I think she's also trying to maybe um, get a little like shock out of me or like whatever. Like like, hey mom, how did I learn? How did I learn how to cut hair? And you can be my my subject, you know. <laughs> like, whatever but i'm like yeah whatever you want to learn about go ahead i support it
4: yeah and i think that's where the trust really grows because sometimes they even test you in the first time they pick a project because they want to know are you really serious about it um and when you're like yeah let's go let's study that and all of a sudden they're like oh this is what i'm going to be spending my time on i'm going to take it more seriously um and all of a sudden, they're now studying things that actually really interest them. And they're willing to take more risks.
0: So Kelly, I, I have two two sort of like broad questions that I hope that you can uh, illuminate for us and our listeners in particular. So if, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you might be thinking, wow, learner-centered movements, super cool. We heard Mike talk about big picture. We heard... Um, Grace, for a moment, talk about Iowa Iowa big. excuse me. We heard Grace talk about Iowa big. Kelly, can you give us a sense of where you think there are some really great learner centered movements happening in the United States right now, so we can kind of pop those into our podcast description and so some of our listeners can you know type into the google search um, the 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 term that you provide?
4: yeah so um, so one, I would direct people to our website. We have a map on that website, um, and there are sites all over the country, and they many of them actually we've written profiles on, so you can link um to our profile, but you can also link to their website and other um, resources about that site. Uh, you've named one big picture and the Met that they you know, their flagship school in Providence, Rhode Island is just amazing. Um, and there are Mets um, and other big picture schools that have really are doing all of, of what we would say fully express learner centered sites out in California and other places. Um, the Norris Academy is up in um, Wisconsin is a, uh, is probably the leader in learner profiles. So being able to um, meet a young person, discover who they are, what their interests are, and they create an urgency story for young people. Like if nothing else happens, like what do you want to to make sure you have? Because they are working with young people who are in a mental health institution who may or may not be there for six months or more. And so it's a public school, um, but so they've under, you know, pretty extraordinary circumstances come up with something that I think would be incredibly useful for any school in the country. Just to, if you want to see some really far out visions of education. So Workspace Education in Bethel, Connecticut, which is a co-learning hub. And it's it's a, what they've done is because it's homeschooling parents that they, families that they serve, they beca- they're able to be a hub. And they made every room this enticing um, place of learning. They have a theater, they have a science lab, they have a um, virtual reality room, a cartography room, sewing room, just any room you're in. You might be actually just reading a book in that room, but it is so enticing to discover what you really wanna create and and like dig your hands into. And there's no reason that in public education you couldn't do the same thing, right? You could have learning hubs that weren't about taking classes, but that were really about enticing young people into creative um, and expressive endeavors, whether that be in the scientific or the artistic. Um, and just to name one other place um, is Rowan Salisbury School District in North Carolina, which is a district that's taking this on. And in the midst of COVID, you know, they are um, getting really creative about creating virtual learning academies, micro schools. Um, they're taking a playbook from you know what we're watching with pods and all of the um, creative solutions that parents are coming up with in the midst of all of this, but making it
0: accessible in an equitable way with public money. That's awesome. Uh... Thanks for sharing all of that. Those there, I just uh, Googled the map as as you were talking, and I'm like looking at all these schools. So cool. There's so many different iterations of learner-centered education going on across the United States. And some of them, like you mentioned, are whole districts. Some of them are these little boutique schools. I found one that's just outside of Philadelphia here. That's actually in a town that I'm going to be moving to in. Uh, Thirty days or or so, so that's super exciting, and I um I'm gonna have to go and and visit them at some point, uh, maybe after COVID.
2: Uh, Kelly, what is what messages would you like to send? We have a lot of teachers listening. Um, what message do you want to send to schools that are working to plan for whatever the fall looks like?
4: you would probably be I'm trying to think if it's two or three messages. So one is relationship is the foundation for learning, and I think I, you know, I kind of knew that, or it was a conceptual relationship to that until I had kids um, and started meeting young people from all kinds of sites all over the country. When there's trust, there is a willingness to take risk. There's a willingness to try, um, and relationship is it's not just knowing somebody's name and seeing them every day. It's actually caring how their day was the other day, what challenges they're facing, what they like, what they don't like, and in starting to engage them in your planning. And so um, I think there's a lot of pressure, especially with this whole notion of learning loss, um, that people are like, we got to get down to the (laughs) basics. I would say so much has happened in kids' lives. I mean, it's in everybody's lives, right? Um, take the time to find out how they are, how it's been for them, what challenges they're facing um, and discover how they might want to learn about what's happening. Right. Um, And, or the difference that they might want to make in their family or their community. So that would be number one is don't think that's taking away from learning by all means, make sure that every week, if not every day, you're making that time. Um, And I've kind of partially already said it, engage them in things that are interesting to them to pursue. It, the, even the best remote learning is, you know, the amount that it takes to do what happens in a school day at a standardized pace <laughs> takes much less when kids are doing it by themselves. So there's just more time in the day. So help them create projects that are meaningful to them to find inquiries, to do studies. And allow them to connect with each other with or without you, right? You don't need to be there. Create, especially if they're in remote learning, this isolation is so hard on, on people and kids. I think those would be my two big ones. And just, you know, treat them like co-conspirators. If you are struggling, tell them you're struggling and say, how can we work through this? And start enlisting their support in designing and
0: supporting and you will be amazed at what they come up with.
2: Well, amen to all of that. I love it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're preaching to the choir here, Kelly. We appreciate that. (laughs) Let's move into the reflection part of our podcast where we ask our co-hosts and our guests to kind of talk about how this conversation is making them rethink education uh janine do you want to go first
1: yeah actually um there was something that you said and 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 kelly had mentioned uh like like pedagogy with learn in in, with learner-centered um environments here and i'm thinking and i've said this before but you know so often i think teachers teach the way they were taught you know that it's hard for them to think outside the box or like do school differently because they were never exposed to her, or that's just not how they they learned um so I'm thinking you know am I, my am my I role as you know an educator at a local university where I'm teaching teachers how to teach you know how can I better prepare them to teach in a learner centered learner centered environment um, you know what how is pedagogy impacted by this um, um, so I'm, i I guess I'm just, I'm just contemplating, like, how do you go about doing that? Or what are the, what are, what are ways in which we can, or even teachers that are already teaching, right? Providing professional development so that they can start to transition, right? Um, from being maybe the direct instructor to really being a facilitator or even a co-learner in the classroom with students. Um, those are, those are larger discussions, I suppose.
0: <laughs> yeah, Totally. Julie, what are you thinking?
2: Well, all summer, we've been talking uh, with, with folks in a variety of networks, and Education Reimagined and Spouse is so important because it includes student voice. Um, and it reminds me of the campaign, I've heard of that out there that's making its way around my circles this summer. Um, so I would say to um, teachers and schools and school leaders, and all your planning and rethinking leave some space um, for student voice, as Kelly has highlighted here today. Uh, Give a listen to what students want to learn about and how they want to learn about it. And just don't assume that you can't, uh, you know, pull off uh, experiential learning uh, because all or part of your year might be virtual. Um, You'll be leaving out the most central truth in anyone's learning. buy-in connection, experience, all those things that uh, Kelly just had mentioned. Um, We have to lead with what matters. I think that's what September is going to be all about and finding a new way forward. Um, And I think too few schools are thinking small. Um, Even in these times, I'm just amazed at the conversations that I hear sometimes. It's not about, you know, when does the bell ring um, at 42 minutes or 45 minutes? Um, Do we need bells at all? You know, so that's, you know, if we're physically in school, you know, why do we need to divide up our day into artificial segments? Um, so in some ways, uh, this is an opportunity for some students to have their most engaging year yet, I think. Um, so I want to thank Kelly and Grace for sharing their experiences. Um, and I hope people are inspired to check out more of the schools, um, on that map at the Education Reimagined site.
0: Yeah, I love what you're talking about, Julie. I, um, this conversation reminds me how important it is that we truly put uh, students at the center of our thoughts about what education really means, what it's really all about. And I think there's a lot of lip service by, um, by policymakers, by teachers in some cases, by administrators, by districts, um, by board members, you, you name the list, really. And... I think some of that has to do with what we were talking about earlier, which is that there's not a lot of experience with learner-centered education and therefore not a lot of image of possibility for what that actually looks like. But I do think that there's not enough reflection on what we're really talking about. So when I say learner-centered, what does that actually mean? And is that really what is being expressed in the school pedagogy in the school experience for the learner? um, And how are we evaluating that? How are we really taking the time to do that sort of reflecting work on a regular basis to make sure that we're keeping learners at the center of what we're really doing? I think that takes a lot of time and effort and schools maybe are not necessarily always keen on that idea or, or are feeling a lot of pressure from other aspects of what are being demanded of them to use their time and effort in other ways. So it's challenging for them, but I do think it's important work, right? It's important and it has to be prioritized. We have to say to ourselves, let's take time right now to talk about what our learner experience is here and what it really means to be learner-centered. Kelly, what kind of reflections do you have for us?
4: No, I love all of the reflections that you just shared, and um, and I do think it is essentially the easiest way of thinking about it is, I liked what you were just saying, is just contemplating how do you constantly have learners at the center of your thoughts and in the conversations that you're having. And if you're wondering if they're at the center, ask them. <laughs> um, it's the most obvious piece of things, but um, we are so habituated to a system that is of us adults doing something to kids. Um, and if we really started thinking of learning can only be, be done by them. And so if we don't know if it's working or not, or um, if they're learning about what really matters to them or not, um, it we're missing some of the most essential answers that we have and the most essential partner we have, which is them.
0: Grace, what about you? What is this conversation making you think about education?
3: Um, I think that learning that a school looks different in any capacity for every single person Um, And not just in educational models, but just in general, school looks different. I mean, talking to different educators over the past few months, I've gotten chances to talk to so many educators and other students, and school looks different for every single person. And sometimes models like Iowa Big or models that challenge what education can be doesn't work for every kind of student, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of times talking about education, and I'm guilty of it too, is it's, it's this push to really just reinvent the box and totally scrap everything. When there are students who really value from a model that we might not think value, like they value. I have many friends, many peers that value from that traditional style of education, where it is just grasping um, grasping information, learning information that they may not understand or it might not help them in the future but that experience of just growing and learning and just um, getting as much information in their brain helps them grow but for me personally I love a model where I know and I'm in charge of my education I can choose what I want to learn and I know that um, if I take AP bio I'm never going to apply that to my life but if I um if I spend two months learning about a hydroponic system that can help me grow sustainable vegetables, it can help me in the future learn how can I grow vegetables in different settings, in different urban settings. And so um, education and school looks different for every single person, but um, I think that challenging it too much, we lose sight of what we're actually doing it for. And it's always for students and for people to grow and to adapt and to be better global citizens.
0: Awesome. So great. So many good thoughts there. Well, let's get into our final segment of the podcast, which we call plugs. And we are where we invite our guests and our co-hosts to share what uh, they're reading or doing or checking out or what have you. I'm going to go first tonight because I never really go first. I've been kind of diving into this map Called Rich Blocks Poor Blocks. You can find it on richblockspoorblocks.com, and it is a uh, color-coded map, block by block across the entire country that showcases the median household income for um, for all the counties and blocks within the country. It's super fascinating. You can you know uh, look up your own address on there, um, and then there's all sorts of other Kind of uh, things that you can sort the map by. So you could look and see um, what the average age is on your block. You can see what the average poverty rate or the real estate tax or the average rent. It's a really fascinating map. So we'll toss that link into the podcast description. Uh, Julie, you want to share a plug? Sure.
2: Um, I've been um, really interested in a teacher, uh, and his site is New Ed Tech Classroom. His name is Sam Carey, uh, K-A-R-Y. And he has tech videos for all things virtual learning. Um, He doesn't leave anything out. So those people who are not exactly tech savvy, like I am not, (laughs) um, he starts at the beginning and keeps it and short and understandable. Um, He's in the middle of this series on approaches to using adopting technology. um, And he's brilliant because he understands that good planning uh, starts with essential questions and engagement um, and that t- technology is a tool uh, to help us design learning experiences um, with our kids. It's not the starting point. Uh, so anything you you use already um, teachers out there like Book Creator or Google Classroom or Padlet or HyperDocs, um, he has ideas for how to make them even better. So um, for those of you who are delving into this uh, new normal, uh, check him
0: out. Super cool. Janine, what about you?
2: Yeah, uh, Julie, that's a good
1: one. I have watched a couple of his videos. They are pretty good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they've been helpful. Um, yeah, another tech thing. Well, I've been making posters this week for labeling our new entrance and exit ways and doors, different doors of classrooms now, and um, of course, printing out COVID posters and stuff like that. So, um, anyway, I've been using canva.com to make some of these posters, and it's it's super user-friendly um so if you happen to have to make any posters or infographics or they're good for it's good for project work too within the classroom on you know digital stuff um yeah it's a cool resource so canva.com c-a-n-v-a (laughs) canva
0: awesome kelly uh we're gonna leave links to education reimagined obviously, and to Spark House in our um, description. So this is your chance to plug uh, anything else you like, any books, other podcasts, favorite Instagram accounts. What do you want to plug? Um,
4: I I had two thoughts. One is Community Share, which is, um, and it's communityshare.us, just to give an idea of what, if we were to think of learning as an ecosystem, what's possible. And Community Share is a platform that allows parents and just community members to share what their gifts are and what their expertise is with teachers so that as young people want to explore something they have they can reach out to a community asset you know a person who actually does that for a living um, so I, I just they think of a community as a human library so I thought that was a great one to share and then something that my kids are like have been engrossed all summer is a Um, an app called Procreate. And it is all about drawing online. And it has, it's not very, I think it's like $7 or something. And it has occupied endless hours of their time. (laughs) Sounds like fun.
0: Grace, what about you? What do you want to plug?
3: So I think that recently um, I've been uh, really liking, there's an Instagram page called So You Want to Talk About. And they kind of just break down different things that we think that we know about or we say that we know about but we really don't know a lot about it and it's a really just great way to be a conversation starter and to share it with people that um, you might not feel comfortable sparking a conversation about um, there's just like really like taboo topics that we just don't really sit down and talk about and they just do a really good job of just like coming up and being forward and being open to have those conversations and especially with um the racial issues that started about two months ago they just did a really good job of highlighting those and just explaining um, different perspectives and different um, ideologies in a way that it's not just um, promoting one side but you really just get a whole um a whole view of the actual issue itself and that's been really good just to learn and to be open and to converse with people in comments and listen to what they're having to say and their perspectives. It's been really cool.
0: Yeah, that sounds super cool. Thanks for sharing, Grace. We'll be sure to drop a link for that in um, our podcast description. Well, co-hosts, as usual, it's been a pleasure. And Grace and Kelly Young, it's been a pleasure having you on as well. We hope, listeners, you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, be sure to lead us a rating on Apple Podcasts and check us out as we are new additions on Pandora's podcast platform. As always, keep rethinking EDU and thanks for listening.